podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, Innovations in Enrollment Management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com. Good. Well, uh, welcome to our call for uh, uh, 2012, the year looking forward. And uh, we're going to have a little bit of uh, uh, quick housekeeping. We're going to give away a free mystery shop at the end of the uh, our call. And so we'll just organize that at the end for those interested in having a free mystery shop. And if anybody wants to go deeper with us, uh, either Shane or myself, individually on the, what we've come up with for the year going forward, we're happy to book a half an hour with you as well. So welcome, everybody. Um, and um, there's a lot of pings, Greg. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised about two things. One, that there's so much interest in this topic, and two, that there's so much interest on uh, December 30th. Yes, I think there's just there are just some bored people sitting there um, biding their time till they can get ready for New Year's. That's what I think. Or there are, no no there are people who are legitimately interested because 2012 is going to be a a very um, interesting year to say the least. If you think 2011 was interesting, wait till next year. So let's talk, what we've done, folks, is we've organized a SWOT analysis um, where, but we've kind of organized it a little bit backwards. So usually a SWOT analysis, you analyze the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats. And in this talk, we're, we've just mixed it up to make it a, flow a little better for our talk. We're going to start with the weaknesses, and then we're going to look at the strengths, then the threats, and then the opportunities. We'll finish with what we perceive to be an opportunity set for the industry for this year. So first of all, what we're going to do is we're going to do a little game show and just to make it interesting. So we're going to talk about the weaknesses. Um, and I have a question for Shane and everybody listening. Um, what is the major weakness or issue that you perceive that we face as an industry in the next year? So I'll just go through there are five potential answers, Shane. The one is, um, one issue is, the contraction of programs um, that will hurt some schools due to the, the new rules, the new rules that have been foisted upon us by um, American and Canadian jurisdictional groups. Um, there will be fewer two-year secretarial schools. Uh, the new do Department of Ed rules and the rules developing in Ontario and state jurisdictions are here to stay. And um, they are just going to punish schools that sit in a delusional state. Um, schools that are sucking on the government-funded loan nipple. Um, is that a bad word, by the way? I don't believe it is. But anyway, they're heavily, ex no, they're heavily exposed uh, because the weak U.S. economy coupled with serious European debt contagion, it's all converging to put heavy downward pressure on government spending. And mm -hmm. so if you're tied into the government, you've got to kind of roll with how they roll. Uh, the fourth one, placement, the key battleground for enrollment management, preparing for a, you've got to prepare for a real scrap. Um, most schools have their head in the sand uh, in this placement mm -hmm. arena. And admissions reps can no longer be incentivized in any way 
um, over time, persuaders, people who are good at persuading, will leave the industry um, for better opportunities, and they'll be replaced by people you typically find at a customer service desk at a community college, more of a service personnel. So to summarize, Shane, um, contraction... These, these are, Greg, these are all major weaknesses by the industry, and you're asking what is the biggest of, the, of all these? Yeah, yeah, that's my question. Or is there one? Um, so contraction of... They program. all suck, my friend. These are all bad. These are all bad things. But they're, they're uh, all... Well, actually, maybe them. not. Maybe not. Well, you know, on the on the the edges of every dark cloud sit a silver lining, right? So, but I think that's true, and we, and we do have a all good all news is good news kind of um, context. Now, explain to the folks listening why, because that seems absolutely stupid comment <laughs> to the uninitiated. So, explain why all news is good news is. Okay. Well, so this is a thing that I've borrowed from a, or we borrowed from a marketing guru, Dan Kennedy. This is his, his concept, not mine. But all news is good news means that if you if you if you accept every the reality of every situation and and um, take a positive view of it, it allows you to do two things: one, deal in in reality and not get caught up in, as Greg you said earlier, delusional thinking or kind of what if, oh, if only, or if only thinking, if only this, then that, because it doesn't help you, right? All that does is um, keep you locked in a mindset that's not about innovation with the materials at hand, and it, it forces you to spot the opportunities in in things that are difficult to see the opportunities. For example, so, the country. Does that make sense, Craig? Yeah, it makes total sense. Sorry, Shane, I interrupted. Keep going. Okay, so I was going to say, for example, you know, we've got a contra- There's likely a contraction of programs, right? Um, because uh, for some schools, the if the employment outcome doesn't doesn't support the tuition charge, like you know, if the, the what I'm going to make working in that job doesn't ratios don't work for the tuition charge, then the program's not viable. So th- those kind of programs are going to disappear, as you said, the two-year secretarial programs. Now, I personally think that's actually a positive, and I sort of see it like a you know, a bit of a forest fire, right? Purge a bunch of marginal programs that are cluttering up the space um, where marketing money is having to be spent and, and admissions effort and administrative effort. Just get rid of a bunch of crap that doesn't really help the people taking it. It doesn't really benefit um, society in, in a very real way. Now, Shane, also um, the uh, uh, um, all good all news is good news is a core premise for direct response marketing. Yes, yes, and what that means is that the 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 failure, the success or failure of any activity, gives you clues into why it is. Like, like we kind of view marketing ultimately as just a um, a series of experiments into human nature, right? People are generally pretty consistent in how they behave and have been for, you know, as long as they've been people. And marketing is really about testing and innovating and finding the things that respond to the human condition. That's at least my belief in it. And and in doing so, in, in really exploring. Um, how people think and work and how they respond to communication uh, through trial and error 
making tiny little bets and failing fast, then the, the byproduct of those tests, really, it, it's all about all news being good news. That's right. And that's the value of mystery shopping. Well, it is, yeah. So you know oh. what's true. Yeah. So back to... Back yeah, to our so, thing. So what do you think? So yeah. there's contraction of programs. The new rules, DOE rules, are just a real mess. Um, and then s- many schools are just heavily tied into government funding by extension. Mm-hmm. Placement and admissions reps no longer can be incentivized. Do anybody listening have an opinion? Okay, Shane, what are your thoughts? I think uh, probably placement is the key uh, the key thing in this. And it, but, but Greg, you and I have been talking about placement for a few years now as a as a um, an indicator. As a, you know, given that we have a weak economy and it's you know hopefully recovering slowly, and given there's so much emphasis on outcomes. In edu- especially for the proprietary for-profit schools, but increasingly for the public system as well, they're getting um, some outcome-based like legislation put on them. And so, if you don't get people in jobs, ultimately you can't enroll. Right? If, if you can only place a hundred people, you can only enroll whatever that works backwards to hundred and fifty. Right. So what happened before was that you know the economy was strong. And uh, and and basically the the economy would sop up uh, most uh, most graduates and and placement issues were rare. And then what happened is the the recession hit, and then the career school people in particular were rubbing their hands because, as we've had one or two people say, an idiot could make money in a recession when you're in the the short term education business. But ah, alas, they had to eat their words because. Most recessions are shaped like a V. And in other words, the recessions are typically a year long, maybe two years long. So somebody gets laid off, they go to school, and then just by the time they're graduating, the economy's kicked back and they get a, a job. But now the economy is an L. In other words, there's no, it's a jobless re- recovery. It's like Japan has been in the 80s and 90s. And 15 million jobs have left the U.S. permanently, and their con- jobs are continually being eroded by cheaper sources of labor in the BRIC countries. So now we have an issue because the the DOE are not relenting. Of course, the DO the the hounds for the DOE are the accrediting bodies. They do they their marching orders are dictated by the DOE, and and they're not backing off. And we're seeing in the paper uh, all kinds of schools getting in major trouble and and pre- presidents and CEOs having to fall on their swords and firing themselves or getting fired for this issue. It's a big issue. If a accrediting body says, sorry, you're, you're 5% light, you can't enroll anybody for 90 days until you solve this problem, that's a hit. Yeah, Any final it's a real challenge. So, yeah, well, Greg, I think you're bang on. So, it you know, it's it's for good or bad. It is now an industry that's extremely regulated. You know, it was heavily regulated before, but now it's sort of extremely regulated, and so be it. Regulation creates a barrier to entry, which 
you know, ultimately can, can be good for the players that are already in it if they can, you know, get organized enough to deal with regulations. So that's a perfect segue to our next part of our talk, and that is yeah. going, going forward, there are six potential key strengths for industry going forward into the next year. Um, there is better structure in the industry now. Um, and then the second issue, or the second strength, for those attached to the federal government student loan trough, there's a better understanding of the rules. Those rules have crisped up in the last year or so. Um, all, all news is good news. Um, mm-hmm. Because of the new rules, there is a greater barrier to entry for new players. So we have a, a client in Texas um, who is asking about all of the, the crap that was going on, and I just said, you are so lucky because these new rules make it tougher for new players to get into the game. And that combined with the two-year secretarial courses being eliminated makes a, a real nice barrier to entry for the schools that are left. Um, assumed contraction of programs will help those left behind, so I just spoke to that. And then schools with uh, career services departments have a distinct competitive advantage over public junior colleges, public schools. And, um, and then the sixth one, which might sound odd, but enrollment management is inefficient. So let's speak to these for a sec. Okay, so there's better structure in the industry now. That's self-apparent. Um, there's a better understanding of the rules of self-apparent. Um, barrier to entry, what are your thoughts on that? I do, well, I, I think it's a, a, an unexpected outcome of this. And, but I, I guess I see that as a nice sort of a bonus. But I don't see in and of itself as a as a, a strength. It's sort of an ancillary, an extra bonus strength. Sorry, my brain. It's like a guy who's has to undergo chemotherapy, realizing after the fact that he looks really good bald. Would that be a, a good analogy, or maybe a bad one? But oh, I think it's accurate. It's, That's an awful analogy. But it has been a horrendous year in 2011, and yeah, it's true. Yeah, not to put a point on it, but you know, it was a tough year, man. Yeah, a tough year for a lot of people. We spent half so, a yeah, year. So yeah, anyway, the, the 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 strength for the industry, my belief, our belief, is that enrollment management is efficient, is still, or sorry, is inefficient, is still an opportunity for people. Like we. We are in the research business, among other things, and so we regularly have peeks into how people operate their admissions departments and run their marketing. And we see schools all over the place, big and small, and get glimpses into their world, and virtually all of them have many, many inefficiencies that cost them a lot of money. So, Shane, uh, an example would be uh, the average is 33% of admissions reps when they get somebody on the phone forget to ask somebody to come in for a, a tour and mm-hmm. if you run the um, the numbers for a typical business unit or a campus you know that can usually run around a million to a million and a half in lost revenue per annum and so this yeah. is good news because 
you you have a, um, a, a that's easy easy thing to fix and well well it is and and, and Craig there's a, you know I'm thinking another example it was a, a a client whose you know response time to their leads is very long it's, and the the manager didn't realize exactly how long but instead of responding within you know five minutes they're responding within two days hugely inefficient and as a result, very much lower enrollment than they can get. But what the, the good news of all this is is that uh, these are system things to fix. These are not people. These aren't. Um, it's not like they're lacking staff with these persuasion skills. They simply lack effective systems to do the things they know they should be doing. Yeah. So it's so a, it's, it's really intriguing. Yeah. If you can add ten enrollments a month. Due to just improving inefficiency, that saves you essentially a hundred leads that you have to purchase. Um, oh, at least. Yeah, if you're if you're converting on ten percent blended average, which is probably rich given the preponderance of internet leads. But point being is that inefficiency is the great strength of the of the industry. Uh, inefficiency what? combined a barrier to entry. I'd also like to talk quickly on placement. Um, public schools do not have placement departments. They do not have career services departments. You go, you finish, bam, you're twisting in the wind, you're, you're out on your own. And so I, I don't see enough uh, private schools who are mandated to have career services departments to ensure placement using that as a, a strategic advantage or a strength in the industry. Yes. Any yes. final thoughts on right. strengths? No. We got it covered. Anybody have any questions or comments who are listening? If you want to say something, you just press star six and um and then you can pipe up. No? Okay. Okay, Greg, tell us about the threats. Got a question here. Nancy, uh graduate school Hazelden. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Uh Greater barriers to new entries. You touched on it a little bit there that I can see, that I understood. But also, when you say greater barriers for the students, you talked about, you know, maybe we're not efficient in our in our tours, maybe we're not efficient in the way we manage our enrollment. What else do you look at as some other barriers? I mean, are you talking about follow-up? Are you talking about, I don't want to handhold people here, but sometimes it seems that way. I'll give an example. Yeah, so just to clarify, that the, the enrollment management inefficiencies is strengths. Like what are, you know, things that are strong about it. Okay. That are optimistic, things to be optimistic about. But, but so, yeah, say, Greg, go ahead. So it's counterintuitive because it, it's, it's a perceived negative. And, uh, on the t- on the, and so here's an example. You get many schools, and what will happen is somebody will phone in, and then uh, say you have a business unit with three reps, and somebody phones in, and um, the admissions reps are not available. And the receptionist will then take a voice, uh, a message or send that person a voicemail. Now, we know that through phone tag that there's about a 10% conversion rate on those follow-ups. Okay. Now, just bear with me. So if you let's run the numbers very quickly. You have... Um, maybe four of those little events happening every day with each rep. 
Not a lot, just four. And so there's three reps. That's 12 a day. That's 240 of those events happen in a month Mm -hmm. where you've essentially lost 200 of those 240 people. Okay. And so if we can go and get pick up 150 of those people and repatriate them um, back with a, a meaningful phone conversation with that rep, and that rep can convert 10% of those calls into a student, okay. a lot of students, right? Got it. Make sense? Money talks, got it. 30. We have about 30 of those little examples, hey, Shane? Okay. Oh, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Does uh, that help, Nancy? Does that yes, help? it does. Thank yeah. you. Oh, okay. And then the barrier barrier to entry simply means that the DOE rules are now so oppressive that any uh, business person in their right mind would say, I'd be crazy to start something from scratch. So now what's happened is the, um, the existing pool of schools in the market are, are fixed, and a few of them will, will fall away or get absorbed. And so um, there's a protection against co- competition is what we were meaning about barrier to entry mm. in broad terms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. Okay. All right, Shane. So let's talk about uh, threats. Yes, threats. The big tiger is going to eat us. Well, there are five possible threats that we see for the coming year. Uh, new admissions might be limited or suspended due to weak placement rates, and you touched on that earlier. Um, some programs will be forced drop by the DOE and their friends. Um, contraction of government funding, i.e. The, or the economy, will find its way into education, um, cutting budgets at the student loan level. In other words, stu- there, there's a, a degradation of student loan opportunity right now, and it, we feel it's going to continue. Um, state-funded schools in particular will be hard hit. And more specifically, teach public schools that are teaching schools that don't have that R&D thing where Monsanto buys the chemistry chair at Stanford for $20 million bucks. Mm-hmm. And so the teaching schools are going to be really hard hit because they tend to be funded at the state level with block transfers, block transfer funding. Um, incentivized compensation rules will cause admissions rates to flounder. And lead quality will be exposed as weak because the reps will no longer cover up for the crummy lead quality. Shane, you want to expand on that one? Yeah, so r- right now for the, f- the the private schools at least, they, they, a big part of their marketing is spent buying leads from various vendors. And... Our belief is that the 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 persuasion skills of some of the reps is sort of compensated for what is really marginal equality. You know, this is bottom of the barrel kind of inquiries. Uh, the public system, so much, I don't think, is conditioned to buy leads yet, though that could very well happen. Yeah, so, that's great. Can I I have an opinion about all these threats? Yeah, far away. I think the biggest threat is uh, budget, and the reason for that. Remember, what was it four or five years ago when Sally Mae disappeared? You know, yep. there was 
you know, at the time there were sort of three levels of financing for people. The Title IV, Sally May filled a huge gap in the middle, and then third-party lenders, and then that whole middle part disappeared, which a bunch of schools went out of business, and people had to remix their programs. And really what it did is it drove away lots of smaller um, kind of programs, right? Because it was you couldn't get funding for your three months, whatever course, because no one hmm. could fund it. So those programs disappeared. In a way, it caused uh, programs to get longer so they would qualify to get Title IV money. You know, it created that environment or contributed to it. Yeah, that's right. So now what happened, saw- Shane, was that... Uh, is that these um, really high quality three to ten thousand dollar programs where you went to school for six months um, basically got got worked out of the market and either became little micro courses or got pushed out by necessity to a um, a big bloated version so as to sneak into the federal funding trough. That's right. But now we can't do that because there's other accountabilities on it. And so, um, and Greg, you sent me an email on this, uh, what, last week on the new re- regulations um, regarding what is ability to fund? What's that? Uh, ability to benefit, yeah. So, Shane, what it is, is there's uh, folks who do not have grade 12. I, most of the folks on the call know this. Uh, uh, people who do not have grade 12 but have the, they pass a Wonderlick course and they, have the ability to benefit from the training are no longer permitted student loan funding, and that really doesn't make sense to me. Um, well, it's just a way to reduce the the loan pool or re- reorganize it, just cutting funding without saying we're cutting funding. Yeah, it's basically politicians who are gaslighting and and they have to cut funding. There's a mandate to to shrink the student loan budgets and uh, uh, the budget for the DOE for student loan funding and due to the horrendous deficits that are being run in the government, they have to do it. Um, there's a point yeah, there's, in time. Yeah, TikTok is running out of money. Exactly. So I, I think the, the, the funding, given that there are no, that there's so much reliance on, on government-issued student loans and there's not really a lot of private money available for education because you can't repo it, right? You can't yeah. take the car back. You can't take the degree back. And so it's it's a easy thing for people not to pay, and it's a high risk loan in a very risk adverse environment. I think ability to fund is going to be the you know, the biggest threat we see. Um, that's my opinion, though, Greg. You, you may have a different opinion. No, I think that's a, that's a valid point. Um, I think it's a coin toss um, between that and um, incentivized compensation rules. Um, will eventually cause admissions rates to flounder. So what happens is uh, there were safe harbors where admissions reps could achieve some financial gain for being effectively persuasive or effective at guiding people through. And now in a job description, if you follow all of the points of the job description but you're not effective in bringing students into the school, you still keep your job or you cannot get fired with cause, and so it, it it's going to create quite a mess. And um, and then, of course, you know the uh, on the public school side, the, those folks don't experience that at all. Except there's an implicit pressure. Uh, we had a, had a question from a gentleman who asked if we could touch on graduate schools. 
um, master's programs, PhDs, and so many of those programs are cost recovery, right? And so there's this benign... Can I just swing off task for a second and talk about public schools, Shane? Go for it, buddy. So public schools are are really um, nailed down with block funding and you know, the school receives base block funding to subsidize, say, MBA um, candidates. And then, uh, but what's happening now, particularly at the state and provincial government levels, they're saying, okay, your your goal is to have 25 MBA students start. If you have 20 or 18 or what have you, give us 20% of that money back. Well, that's never happened before. Now what's happened are these 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 more and more of these graduate programs are becoming cost recovery programs. And so what the, the, the deans or the program leaders, department heads, are having to rapidly come to terms with is those guys are in the private post-secondary business by default. In other words, it's not there's the profit's not the motive. It's losing your FTEs, losing your programs. That's the motive. They're not running off of a, 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 a greed motif they're running off of a fear motif, and uh, those guys are in the same game now as the private folks, except it's worse. And, and it's just dawning on these guys going, hey, I have a PhD in, in sociology. I didn't sign up to be in this game, but boy, you better psych up for it because you think the private school people have it bad. You wait till the state governments go in and, and carve 40% out of your budget which is the, the number that's being bandied about at the state level for education block funding. There, I've said that now. Good one. Oh, thank you. Any other, um, anybody want to yell at me now or any comments or questions before we move on? Can we talk more about master's programs? Yeah, far away. Okay. Well, I'm waiting for you know. I want to hear what you've got to say because I, you know, I would like to find out about what do you think of the master's programs for 2012. What about specialized master's programs, etc. It, it just. Greg, do you mind if I take a swing of this? Oh, go ahead. Okay. I, I have a question though before you go on, if that's okay with what we just sure. talked about. Uh, absolutely. Nancy, okay? do you mind putting your question aside for a moment, please? Sounds good. Okay, go ahead, sir. Um, do you think there's going to the government's going to also look at the four or excuse me the not for profit schools as well as the for profit schools? It sounds like the bingo. That's what we are, mm-hmm. not for profit. Uh, it's going to be worse for you guys. Go ahead, Shane. Um, yeah, we are less knowledgeable about how the regulations affect the not for profit schools. So I personally I can't speak with as much authority on it. My understanding is that there are regulatory changes that have affected you that are not well communicated and that people are struggling to figure out. That's my understanding of the situation. So, Shane, I've done a lot of research in this area, and this is what I understand. What I understand is that the... um, Schools uh, in the public arena, who, by the way, are noble and do a great job, uh, but have been they, they work in a bureaucratic business model, whereas um, the privates work in a, in a different business model. Two people offering the same product using a different business model. Within a business bureaucratic business model, your objective is 
in any bureaucracy is to expand upon itself. And you do that by bolstering FTEs through budget justification. And, and what's happened is not so much federal, but at the, and I'd like to focus on um, on the state um, teaching colleges, um, not the, the um, R&D-based colleges like your Stanford's and whatnot. Those people are, are private businesses, and and 80% of their revenue does not come from enrollment. It comes from R&D and technology transfer and huge corporations buying chairs of graduate programs and using free master's student labor, you know, the discounted labor to, to do their R&D for them and all that. So, But if you go to the huge area of publicly funded teaching colleges, state colleges, state universities, junior colleges, those people are in really exposed um, if you read the blogs and if you read uh, some of the, the public post-secondary um, prognosticators they really are speaking about how they, they have no choice but to just really contract block funding that go to these programs so it's not going to happen now but I, I, it, sir I would really suggest that you lay in some metrics, key performance indicators, uh, start looking at your program from a business-like context because uh, when that happens and when it comes down, if you can present some, some business metrics around your program, then your program will survive, whereas other programs will get chopped. Thank you. Okay, so building on that point, Greg, the, the, there was the, the other... The other question around um, what's you know trends or whatever for graduate programs in the coming year, what what's going to be sort of hot and not? Right. My my belief is that th that's the it's the wrong question. It's not around what program is going to be there's going to be more demand for, because um, I think the opportunity for graduate programs is to adopt a more um, a, a more hands-on business model. Like, and Greg had touched on these two, these two sort of um, contrasting business models between the public nonprofits and the private for-profits. And I think the the real opportunity for a graduate program is is to adopt more of the model used by the uh, private for-profits, because a graduate program is, is actually very similar in function to a, a, a trades program. That's that's what I think is your 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 way to win. Yes, and and along those lines, it, it's just <sighs> this is going to sound awful, but you need to prepare for the the hard conversation when somebody comes in and says state government has cut our block funding by twenty percent. We have to trim, and so they're either going to trim across the board, or more likely, what they'll do is they'll shut down programs. Now, the best way for you to avoid being shut down is to demonstrate some key performance indicators that will, and you want to start really stripping out inefficiencies in your, in your department, in your program, and start looking at things. I think what Shane's getting at is look at things with a business-like mind, even though you're not a business. Uh, otherwise, you're going to get slammed, hmm. possibly. Nancy, does that help a tiny bit? Yes. Well, ours is really unique. We have one program, and it's um, 
But you had mentioned something about trade. So I'm trying to. Ours is st- strictly we t- uh, uh, train counselors, CD counselors. That's what we do, and we do it well. It's Hazelden. Uh, so, when you said to streamline here a little bit, I'm just hmm, okay and expand upon itself, which we do because we're very unique. Okay, okay Nancy. What I would pr- pr- I think what you're you're wanting is a bit of a probably a strategic counseling session around your school. What I would propose we do is we block out some time or you wait till the end of the call and then we'll spend some time with you informally specifically okay. around my marketing per- our marketing person is listening too as well. So oh, we can, okay. Yeah, so we can we can talk about this. And I yeah, we'll see okay. here how it goes. Okay, keep on going, Great. sorry. Thanks. Okay. Hey, Greg, Shane. I think we've got uh, we're we're down to opportunities, so this is the big opportunity going forward. Yeah, and it's really tough to generate a, a, a real thinking about opportunity after you kind of slog through the muck for a while. But, uh, you know, there are opportunities on the other side of all, all constraints. So there's several here. Let me just speak to them, and then let's see what people have to say. So offer short-run certificates with lower prices. Um, have uh, your blended online bricks-and-mortar learning environment, much like the FlexNet program at University of Phoenix. They've nailed it. So instead of having a 30-kilometer radius, 30-mile radius for your bricks-and-mortar school, develop blended learning environments so you can have a 200-mile radius for drawing in students and you become more relevant. Uh, number three, banks. Now, Shane spoke, touched on this before. Banks, credit unions, savings and loans are are looking now for certain types of business again in education. So, if you can present and say, "Look, we're in a hot industry. We have um, these short run certificates. They're inexpensive. They get people working, and you can demonstrate placement numbers to the banks. Those guys, those local banks and credit unions." And They'll uh, perk up on that. And so I'd say, you know, if you've just gone to Sally Mae and nobody else, you're lazy. Get out and interview banks all over the place. Start building up a Dutch auction around your your organization for uh, student loans. In spite of the jobless recovery and the protracted recession, this is interesting. There are 14 million unfilled jobs in the U.S. So, can schools create curriculum development cooperatives, or can they work with outfits like Pearson or what have you, to really start addressing these 14 million jobs that are unfilled? Um, number five, create uh, increase short-term revenues by fixing the rampant inefficiencies that sit inside admissions. Um, increase the short-term uh, revenues through better copywriting marketing and lead qualifications. So just by doing a better job of marketing, and, and particularly in the area of testing copy, okay? And uh, increase short-term revenue, um, mid-range revenue, pardon me, by turning career services into a proper business development unit, into a proper uh, business machine. Uh, number eight, develop referral-based marketing to a greater degree. So many people just gloss over referral-based marketing, and it's uh, just a, a really big, um, big mistake because 
we know that referrals convert in, in the range of 30 to 50%. Um, and then the last is offer a career booster uh, and career changer certificates aimed at older learners. So go back to the boomers and sell to them. So, Shane, what do you think about all that? Is that a bunch of hokum, or are there some legitimate opportunities there? Or? I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. What strikes me, I don't think it's, I don't think there's any one. But what strikes me about this list is that these are primarily strategic opportunities, meaning it requires. It's going to require somebody to do something differently than they are currently doing it, with the exception of, uh, you know, fix the inefficiencies and emissions of marketing, which are tactical. You know, that's process. It's just like let's perfect what we are already doing because we're not we're we're doing okay. We're not great, and in some cases we're not even good. But all the other ones are more strategic in nature. Let's target a new market. Let's uh, reorganize our programs to be, have a greater selling proposition. Let's you know fix this funding issue be, by be proactive and maybe trying to package our our um, business and our, our school and our grads in a different way to these uh, lenders. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, I would I would argue though that if you were to focus on improving the uh, referral opportunities, uh, the, the referral systems for admissions reps, that, uh, that that would help to a significant degree. So many schools are lazy in terms of how they they go after uh, personally developed leads and referrals, just waiting to sit on their haunches, waiting for these leads to come in. And, and of course, you know, marketing blames admissions, admissions blames marketing. And then in the public school uh, system, of course, they're all oblivious and they don't really care because there's such a huge disconnect between the departments and the central Marcom um, departments, and that's a, that area is just a total mess. Silos everywhere. So I think it's really a, a down to just I, you know, Shane, I, I think really where I, the opportunity sits is with the boomers okay, for this next. Oh, year interesting. Going Tell me why. Well, it, it's a mass, mass, mass market, and there are people who are. Um, in their 50s and 60s who are fed up. They, they hate their jobs uh, and, or they've retired and they've had their whole, um, all, most of their savings stripped out by the, the past recession. They, you know, it's Freedom 75 now instead of Freedom 55. It's basically for most people, people are accepting that they have to work part-time until they break a hip. And so... Um, that's basically um, the, the the mindset of, of most boomers, and and so the the prevailing attitude. If you if you read it, like magazines like ARP and uh, some of these magazines that speak to Zoomer, these kinds of magazines, you'll see that they're saying, okay, if I have to go back to work, I better enjoy it. So they may go back for a business degree. They may go back to become a massage therapist or cosmetologist, or they may go back to graduate school to maybe pick up uh, something in marketing or counseling, such as Nancy's program. And these people have 
have resources, they have money. Often they don't. They can slap education down on a line of credit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, I would say number nine. But that's my personal view. Let's see if anybody else has an opinion. Anybody else care, care to weigh in? No. Okay. Well, I guess you're right then. Uh, yeah, I am right. Yeah, nobody weighed in. Hi, I had a question. Uh, <laughs> okay. There you go. This is uh, Michael um, in California, and uh, I definitely got to agree. I mean, we've seen a you know a lot of uh, uh, baby boomers coming in and and. Uh, uh, turning their, you know, getting a career change and going into the, uh, you know, certificate programs and doing well. Um, so I definitely, I definitely see that that industry and, and that um, those schools prospering next year. I had a question regarding the admissions uh, structure as far as the enrollment management uh, aspect of it. Where do you see the role of the of the DOA and the regional DOA coming into play? Um, you know, with the incentive uh, incentive payment going uh, compensation going away. Uh, I'll take a crack okay. at that, Shane. Yeah, do, and then I, I probably have a thought that you may not cover. Go okay, Go so I'm of the view that um, with the, the um, you need to you need to um, have some kind of a strong methodology to um, show the accrediting body that you have compliance issues managed, and that's the first thing, like uh, some kind of a like an exit survey process for. Those under interviews or putting webcams in the admissions reps' offices or something like that, um, just to show the Department of Ed, the accrediting people, that you're trying. That's what they're looking for um, as sort of the phase one thing. You're you're trying to be compliant. Um, now, in the broader view, as the persuaders, the the really good salespeople, leave the industry um, for greener pastures. Uh, and they get replaced with people who are more service-oriented, service personnel, service desk type people that are lacking persuasion skills, it's going to become absolutely crucial to take, to, to analyze those key phrases, the, the key work habits, the key activities that the top producers undertake right now, document it, and build it into your job descriptions and your work processes, you're kind of like trying to capture lightning in a bottle a little bit, but in doing so, that'll give you a, an advantage over the schools that don't. Shane, you hey, want to weigh Greg, in? Greg, it's, uh, it's Fred Carini. Oh, hey, Fred. Hey. I can't agree with you more. Um, I think the regional directors of admissions, admissions management, people that actually do know admissions and sales is going to become uh, even more critical uh, because uh, uh, you start to see more people applying for admissions positions uh, that we in the past wouldn't even look at. Um, And there's uh, uh, more uptime required, more training required, uh, because you know you're dealing with a different person. You're dealing with somebody who's not sales oriented. They don't see the value uh, in a in a PDL uh, on its face. And then when you try to explain to them that you know they convert higher and it's a stronger close and all these things, they they can't put A and B together. It's a much more uh, it's a longer learning cycle for these people. So I, I can't agree with you more. I think. Uh, 
the RDOA is going to become um, an even more critical position on a campus than uh, some of the other management positions. Yeah, just taking the um, and training will become more intensive. Um, right. Yeah, Shane. So, what are your thoughts on Fred's Fred's thoughts? Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I see it as the the trend in that area is really around uh, systems and training. It's it it's almost like a, a franchise model in a sense, like philosophically. Franchise model is somebody buys into a franchise, and you've got to take somebody with no knowledge and train them in systems and tactics, and you know how to run and operate a business successfully. And the ones that are good at it are able to take take people that have maybe no knowledge and impart the skills they need because they have mature systems. I see uh, admissions work as a kind of version of that, where you need really solid systems that less skilled people can operate and succeed in. Does that make sense? Is that goofy? No, that's ex- that's what Fred and I were speaking to, I think. Yeah, yeah I think you're I think you're 100% right and I I see what you're saying as far as systems, you know, what they go through to get a person from the point of showing up for an interview and contacting them, showing up all the way to the enrollment. And that's where I kind of get frustrated with a lot of the articles out there that are written. Everything is focusing on the admissions reps to improve their performance. But when does the rest of the campus be held accountable when a prospective student shows up and is not greeted well or taken on a tour and they're almost, you know, looked at like if they're biohazard material? Um, (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You know, people buy more with their eyes than their ears many times. We can whisper yeah. all the wonderful things in the office there, but they all turn into Missourians. Uh, you know, when they come into the school, they want to they, they, they wanna see it. And that's what's going to become even more important in 2012. They're going to want to see it in that tour. They want to see that this is where they want to invest not only their time, but their money. And that's going to have a huge effect on conversion rates sometimes much more so than what is presented in that office. You know, uh, and Shane, if I may, um, I think, you know, um, if you study NLP, I know Dr. Gene Norris is a practitioner of NLP and and I have an interest in it as well. And basically how it works is this. 3% of your um, communication, 3 to 5% is written. Um, 30% of it is, audio, and 70% or so, 20, 60%, 70% of it is uh, through kinesthetic exchange. So what happens is people, they, they come and they look and they look around and they see a testimonial wall and they see uh, they see people working, but where they, they get turned is when they look into the eyes of the admissions rep and they can tell the admissions rep is not BSing around. The admissions rep is passionate, and when the, that prospective t- students they communicate with the admissions rep, the receptionist, the, the faculty members, the other students, they see through just almost um, uh, unconscious communication cues a passion, and and the way to go and activate those that passion in people 
is is to and this sounds really new age and hokey, so forgive me everyone, but you need to line up the core values of your organization with the core values of the people operating. And I think at the core of sh- what Shane speaks to of systemization, if you can really drive home shared core values around your organization, that passion, the eye contact, the flushing of the skin, the, the intensity of the, of the connection, of the, of the look, the, the voice modulation, that cannot be manufactured. That has to come from an emotional deep well. And so I think training around core values and really getting people connected in that area really translates well. I, now that sounds a little ho- a little bit new agey, but nope. Shane, do you care? To, you're more rational than I am. Do you care to? You can beat me up on that. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll I'll buy what you're selling on that one. Okay. All right. Now I have one more thing to say about systems, if I may, uh, and that is there is a, a business um, that have 17,000 business units. They have a 22% profit margin consistently. And they they generate uh, about two three million dollars per per store, and they're all around the world. And eighty percent of the people um, that are running the business either are kids or they have hearing aids. They're really old. Do you care to know what business that is? It's McDonald's. So McDonald's are run by kids and old people. And every every store is consistently profitable. It's a systems business, and these guys have managed to go and take that whole process, and they've they've chunked it down to such tight detail around the service experience. Now, you may hate McDonald's, so I, I accept that, but you can't deny the fact that they have children and old people running these two to three million dollar enterprises and consistently creating profit. For instance, a kid is trained that 15 to 20 seconds before the the uh, the finish of the completion of their transaction they make eye contact with the next person in line and they've they've figured out that they're able to create a service improvement by 18% by doing that anyway i'm i'm ranting here but it just speaks to really what Shane and Fred are speaking to folks and that is it's absolutely crucial to document your best practices in admissions because it's all going to hit when the economy turns. When the economy turns and the job opportunities reopen, the top producers are gone. Shane, um, I think we're going to give something away, aren't we? We are. Uh, what are we going to give away? A mystery shop. We're going to give away mystery a free shop. mystery shop. Yes. So, uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if, if you, let's, why don't we give away three mystery shops? Okay. As I'm, we're feeling generous, and it's the uh, end of the year, and it was t- 2011 was a tough year. It was a great year for us. Business was uh, terrific, and we expect it to continue to be terrific, and I appreciate everyone giving us their time today. So I always say the first three people to um, email, because uh, we have we're short staff today because the office is technically closed, um, uh, we'll give them a mystery shop. How's that sound? Sure. Um, Paul at enrollmentresources.com. And uh, there's another way you can access the free mystery shop, and that is to text message the following phone number, 250-888-7111. 
just put your name and your school, and we'll get back to you on Tuesday. Um, and, or, sorry, um, yeah, Tuesday, and we'll get that Tuesday. organized for you. So 250-888-7111, and just text message your interest, and we'll first three people who communicate with us will set you up. Folks, thank you very much for your time, and have a fantastic uh, New Year's, and we'll look forward to talking to you in the new year. 